Hello, and welcome to Talkin' Psych with Doc Raz. I'm your host, Doc Raz. Today we have a friend returning to us, the pondering theologian, Mr. Nathaniel. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming back. Um, today we are going to be talking about some of these kind of thought loops we can get stuck in and kind of why they might happen. Um, this had come up because we were talking about something outside of podcasts, and you had made the comment basically that we've already had this conversation a few times. Um, and so I noted in therapy, I can notice that happening with people a lot where some sessions feel very similar and it can feel almost like we're on a kid's train track, just going in the same circle over and over and over again. Um, and I made a note that I hope as a therapist that we're, we're not stuck on that one track, but maybe it's more of a spiral where we're revisiting a lot of the same ground, but maybe we go a little bit deeper. Maybe we go in a slightly different direction. Um, and so that's kind of what we're going to focus on today, because I think when people think about those that are religious, they can think about those individuals being kind of one-track-minded or... Um, rigid, perhaps. Rigid, perhaps. And so just kind of thought this would be an interesting one for you to be on. Yeah, I appreciate the invitation. I, When you made the comment, I found it very interesting and a fascinating way to reframe a thought pattern. That's, that's essentially what it is, is reframing how we think about topics or the issues that we consistently talk about. And when you said it, it resonated fairly quickly because I often consider things quite often outside of uh, conversations with friends and dear ones uh, where we may have some topics or conversations come up repeatedly um, I consistently at times find myself thinking about something and I will do that same sort of thing. Uh, I did it on my walk today. I've been contemplating a topic and I found myself making a bit of a breakthrough today uh, thinking in terms of circular does not really give you a framework to talk about those breakthroughs other than I broke the circle, but then you're just saying I broke out of one to enter another, whereas a spiral I, I find to be a good way to, to, to frame this pattern. Uh, so I greatly appreciate the opportunity to to discuss it with you and to explore and go down our own spiral, if you will. Uh, I do find it interesting in contemplating religion, right? You, you mentioned those that seem to be very rigid or stuck in a particular way, that if we think about a topic like religion, um, and in, in my field, uh, Christianity, there are lots of things that people only think about one way. And that can be quite harmful to be stuck in circular. Not that traditions and rituals don't have a place, but outside of, say, a ritual, right? Like going to church 
for communion, communion being done a certain way, following a certain pattern, and uh, the Reformed tradition where I come out of it is generally follows a certain pattern, and it needs to follow a certain pattern to be considered authentic. And so outside of those specific things, uh, it's an interesting sticking point to think of something like doctrine, where people think there's only a set circular way of approaching an issue, and it doesn't leave room for uh, what many in the field of theology or doctrine would call the self-revelation of God, or the re God revealing themselves to us and allowing us to develop in our faith or our thought patterns. And I think for some people, especially when maybe they see things a little bit differently, get possibly frustrated or annoyed, is when it seems like someone's stuck on that loop and they're disinterested in examining it. Um, so, like I said, we can see this a lot in therapy as well, that we're, you know, it can feel kind of a bit like Groundhog's Day where I'm having the same session over and over. Um, and it's just finding that one kind of comment or note that may set us off on something else. But with something held so closely for some as doctrine, you know, what suggestions, ideas might you have for when people come across that? Something that I find useful in my own practice is that several friends of mine in, in, uh, in ordained ministry or working towards ordained ministry, theologians and philosophers tend to do is to find a way to dig deeper or to get themselves exposed to a different line of thinking or a different perspective on the topic. Um, so the concept of God, for instance, can be a divisive one. Uh, there are different ideas about the identity of God, and for some, their God is very triune. So triune being of three persons, and that is its own own animal that we won't conquer today. Um, but there's also the other side, which is the one true God kind of perspective in which people will only think of God as one singular person, one singular identity. And it doesn't really leave room necessarily for a larger holistic idea towards faith. So to get a different perspective, even in deepening my understanding and my beliefs about God's persons, um, though I am Protestant, I will listen to Catholic radio, or I will read different philosophers and theologians that identified with different uh, religious thoughts to be able to get a different perspective, or to be able to expand and give language to my own beliefs. And I just want to make note for those that maybe you have not heard the previous episodes where the Pondering Theologian and I have spoken 
he is speaking from a Christian perspective, some of this may not hold to other religious groups that may be more open-minded or may, their religion may be vaster. I don't know how you would phrase that. I don't know that all religious individuals would fall in the same bucket. It depends, because each religious ideology has its camps, right? So if you think of uh, here in America, in the West, we generally think of politics, right, as a two-camp thing. You're either red or you're blue, you're conservative, you're liberal, and so politics is viewed as this two or the other, uh, you know, one or the other sort of thing, and there's not really a lot of room for independence or for non-associated political peoples. The same thing is often with other religions as well. If you think of Muslims, there are vast, a vast spectrum of people who identify as Muslim, Muslim, or Judaism. It's the same sort of thing. You have cultural Jews, you have a very faithful, um, kind of orthodox Jews. And even in Asian religions, if you look at something like Buddhism, Buddhism can be very divided even in its approach to things. And so having the opportunity to entertain a different perspective can deepen your own thought patterns, beliefs, uh, habits. I myself, uh, as a Christian, have found my faith deepened by reading and becoming more familiar with uh, Taoism. Taoism has deepened my Christian faith because reading their practices and their perspectives towards certain things has allowed me to think more deeply and reflect and meditate and even pray more deeply in these ways. Um, or to look at the very faithful Islamic cultures that stop no matter what they're doing and pray at these set times of the day has helped me to put into perspective how faithful I am to my own prayer life as a Christian approaching God. And so it, de it depends to your to your point it, it can't it depending where you are in your understanding approach as a person of faith or not depends where you are in that spectrum that would be my my response my counter point to what you just brought up um now the suggestion you had given previous to me making that point really was from the individual recognizing they themselves are in a loop what about those who realize others are stuck in a loop? My preferred method is to pose pondering questions or scenarios to other people. Annoyingly so, I imagine, to some. Um, my wife puts up with a lot of random ideas and random questions, not necessarily because she's a circular thinker, but just that it's my approach to many things in life. But it can be a good way to approach those things. I have uh, some individuals that I talk to who are on one end of an ideolo ideological spectrum that see 
at times very stuck in a pattern. And I will approach that by asking a question that would entertain a different idea. Now that is interesting because that lines up with social psychology um, and research that has found that when someone was assigned an essay to write an essay, this is about political views, but that it aligned with their political views, you know, it kind of reinforced that. But when they had to write an essay from a different perspective, it then kind of opened the doors or made them a little less certain in their own. I, I can say from some experience that uh, my hard knocks uh, exposure to philosophy um, back when I first started attending uh, higher education was of that mind. A traditional philosophical approach to topics is to entertain other positions um, and to deepen your own position by exploring the other position to then find what is its weaknesses, what is its pros, where does it actually point out a hole in your own thought pattern. This, this kind of way of approaching topics or issues is deeply seated in philosophy for a long time, which where we get many great philosophers and theologians crossing over at different points like Anselm. To talk about religion and philosophy, and a lot of that approach and how they made their different developments over time is to go back and forth. And even a more uh, recent scientist, and I would say philosopher, Neil deGrasse Tyson, will approach things from their logical and scientific perspective by looking at things like religion and will approach from the other person's perspective. Um, and it's, it's, it's vastly interesting how deep this practice actually is in human thought across cultures. And it's, it's, it's awesome that that's a part of psychology, but so I suppose not surprising. No, that social psychologists have studied it? Probably not. Um. And I would just add to what you're saying when approaching somebody kind of stuck in this loop. When you ask those questions, kind of probing or hoping to shift them maybe a little bit or just encourage them to expand their thinking, um, certainly be mindful of the approach, right? Kind of asking fun questions is a way for somebody not to become defensive, for it to become being for it to come from a place of curiosity and want of engagement versus aggressive or attacking or, um, you know, acting as if you already know that they are wrong. Oh, absolutely. The art of curiosity is one very precious to an approach of in all of these things, whether that is someone that you even uh, view as an enemy or a rival, if you, from my, from my perspective, as someone looking for where the image of God can be easily seen or deeply uh, hidden, perhaps, in another individual, is to approach with that curiosity. And to know that to approach someone in this manner, to uh, 
perhaps probe a way out of a circular thinking into a spiral thinking is to know that it's a patience game. And one of the flaws of many Christian, especially Western Christianity, is this idea that we have to save anybody that we talk to and not, I'm not saying that it's not the goal and mission of the church or someone as a Christian to talk to others about their faith. So this has nothing to do with that so much as Christians get a savior complex where they feel that it is their job to correct every single person they come across, turn them from their quote evil ways or harmful ways and make it right rather than going at it in a loving and caring, curious manner. And I certainly get the comment about it being a patience game. Um, I also think people, you know you don't have the time and you, you want to see the results. I was speaking with someone earlier today about different um, kind of models of therapy. You know, we have psychologists and social workers now doing therapy in primary care settings in addition to those doing it in longer term, more general outpatient. And if you're in primary care, you may only have four to six sessions. And so you don't necessarily have the same amount of time to slowly help someone come to some answers your, you know, themselves compared to general outpatient. I think in the four to six, we have to be a bit more direct. And so it can be difficult when you have somebody kind of stuck in a loop and you see that it's it's not necessarily working great for them. That's a great point. In um, in a pastoral setting or a spiritual advisor setting, or even as someone coming in as an advisor from uh, my position uh, as a theologian or as a clergy person, or even when I worked in business, uh, it is interesting thinking of how limited of amount of time you have, how hard you have to hit different things. Um, and I think it is why it is good to get in the practice of curious questioning whenever you're talking to anybody. Mm -hmm. Because whether you're implanting an idea you know, in a, a three-second conversation or a three-hour conversation, approaching it in a way that doesn't make you seem obtuse or stuck up or ignorant, whatever it may be, is an important practice. But it is rooted in that curiosity and care, which I imagine is an important part of therapy from your perspective as a psychologist. Absolutely. I mean, it's part of, it kind of falls within the unconditional positive regard that we want to have for those that we work with. Um, and that does connect, again, the conversation I had with the person earlier today. We talked about most four to six sessions. Um, so in mental health recovery, there is a model of kind of people being, or it's a model of change. They may be in pre-contemplation. We don't really see an issue. I don't see anything that needs to change contemplation, okay, now I'm thinking about it, I realize there's a problem, action, and then maintenance, and we can kind of move around it. Um, it doesn't, you know, it's not perfect. 
And so in those four to six, we really may only hang out in the contemplation stage with some people. But if we really go into it with them, that may be enough for that time, or at least we're setting them up on a better foot when they might be ready to move into the action stage, when they've decided, okay, this is what I'm actually going to do. Um, so I think that's that's a great balance to have about, yes, your time may be limited, but how do we not feel, you know, nobody's actually getting gold stars for, you know, what the patient is able to do in therapy. It's their therapy. So when you sit down and you think of someone stuck in a circular thought pattern, um, you just mentioned an interesting thing, right? It is their therapy. How do you hold space for someone's personal autonomous idea thought or something that they have learned or been taught that they hold very dear? Um, you know, I grew up in a um, way where I held on to some very conservative theology very tightly for a while and to enter be talked to by someone from an opposing side I was not often necessarily given respect as much as invited to a debate which was more like a ideological logical uh, you know knockout fight um again I think it depends on which setting I'm in for how I'm going to approach um you know, if I only have the four to six, I might be a bit more direct about, I understand that. And you are right. People are allowed to make bad decisions if they understand they're bad, good. Um, but if they're coming to me saying something isn't working or they want something to change, you know, I might more directly point that out. Like, yes, you have this belief, but that's really impacting your ability to have relationships with other people and you're telling me you want to have a better relationship with your children and your spouse so how is that kind of working for you if I know or if I believe right I don't know that everybody's coming back every time I may just think that they are um, but if I'm in longer term therapy we have more time for me to really explore that with them like okay where did that come up you know, what are your thoughts on that right now? How is that impacting your life? Um, a lot more of that kind of guiding, we call it Socratic questioning, where we're kind of guiding them to find the answer for themselves. Maybe it's where I want, maybe it's an answer I already think that I have, but they may get somewhere totally different. Socratic questioning uh, is a great Thing to learn and a great skill to have, especially also in, in like, just in general life, but especially in my field, where oftentimes you may go into a congregation and you don't know where any one person is, and to approach with curiosity, but also to impose sometimes hard, curious questions make people think more deeply about things is, is vitally important because at, at least this time I am often working in a freelance capacity or as a, a supply minister 
So I may be at a church for one day, I may be there for you know, six months. It's not necessarily set. So to, to a similar situation as you with certain therapy um, sessions and, and types, I often have to go in and I don't know what I'm walking into and to find out a little bit about who people are, what a congregation is like, what their identity, their personality is. Uh, that approach is vitally important. Yeah, I think I think many of us find ourselves in those situations unexpectedly, um, right? If you had worked at so depending on where you work, it might be a saying of, you know, if you've been at one store, you've been at one store. It may be a, you know, it could be Meyer, it could be Menards. You may say, well, if you've only been at one Meyer, you've only been at one Meyer. Not all Meyers are the same. We, right. should, we should say that Meyer is a regional store here in County, Publix, oh, Florida. Yes, yes. Um, many probably know Walmart better that has the larger Kind of footprint I believe um, but that is just an example of a thing where right you've been at one Presbyterian church you've been at one Presbyterian church they're not yeah. all the same even if they're in the same Presbytery yeah so I think this leads to an interesting point of how to adjust expectations whether it's in how to address your own circular thinking or to approach um, someone else's is to understand perspectives, right? Mm. Some people's church is their view of all churches, unless it's you know, an opposing church and that's bad. But their view of church is uh, becomes a worldview and helping to back it up to, you know, this is just this little world. I imagine it's something similar in therapy. This is not how Everyone approaches therapy. I imagine you have at times people who come in and think that how they do therapy or how they approach this problem in therapy is the way to do it. Yeah, it can really vary from those that have just a real inability to see anyone else's perspective um, or they sort of assume, well, everyone is like this. All people with PTSD, all people with depression are like this. And we have to kind of explain no, you may have the same diagnosis as someone else, but what you experience and what they experience may be very different. On the other hand, sometimes we do try to normalize it because they feel they may feel completely alone. Like I'm the only one that's ever dealt with this, or I'm, or I know people in the general sense have dealt with this, but I don't know anyone personally, and so I don't have anyone to kind of strategize with or think with about how to how to kind of go about doing things differently. Uh, not to, uh, so I imagine some of that is it's important not to isolate people, which is kind of tying back to uh, earlier part of the conversation and how do you approach people who you recognize as having circular thinking, not isolate them while also trying to approach the conversation in a way to introduce a different idea. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good summary. Um, just being mindful of time. Any final thoughts from you? Uh, I, I imagine we could 
could go on for a while, which is something I often say in my episodes that uh, there's lots more to be said, and I imagine we could approach this in another episode sometime, but I feel content with what we've covered today. Well, thank you again for coming on, and I'm sure we will see you again in the future. Um, But yeah, if you're interested, check out his podcast. He posts, what is it, every Monday, generally? Generally every Monday, sometimes Mondays and Thursdays, depending on the season and how uh, feisty I'm feeling when writing uh, episodes. But yeah, thank you for having me, and uh, check out The Pondering Theologian on Instagram and on uh, wherever you get your podcast. All right, and if you have any questions or comments for me, you can certainly reach out at talkandpsychwithtalkraz at gmail.com or on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or TikTok. But until then, I hope you do something nice for yourself. Bye.